Dímelo, mi gente. It's your boy, Pavel. Just a quick heads up. Next week, we will be back with a brand new episode. For this week, we're actually doing a throwback to one of my all-time favorite episodes. It's a conversation I had last year with Nancy Reyes. It was such a good conversation. I figured we'll play it again for those that haven't heard it. So I'll get into a quick teaser of the conversation, and then we'll get into the remainder of the episode. Like, it is scary to tell people, I don't know what it means <laughs> to no. bring my authentic self to work because I've been trying to hide that thing for 45 years, you know? And the, the, the sort of open arms that I got as a result of sharing that, that vulnerability, that insecurity, that big, big identity question that I have right now w was so inspiring. And it, and it keeps me talking about that. You know, when, when I have people say to me, well, that's because you were, it was about assimilation. That was because for so many years, people thought you were a product of affirmative action. Like, you know, th there's just such a common understanding of what I'm going through, even if it's a generation, a generational thing that is not necessarily applicable in the same way today. And I would say that that kind of thing keeps me inspired uh, and keeps me going because it is, it's a hard truth to tell. And it's not a popular one that people want to hear right now. Um, I think people would love me to um, be the person to say, yes, I bring my authentic self to work. You know, I am more Latina today than I was yesterday. You know, like I, I know people want me to say that, but that is not my truth. So the ability to speak my truth as it stands right now and be and feel safe and comfortable doing it inspires me and, and convinces me that we're making more progress now than maybe we give ourselves credit for. And we have got to just take a moment and pause and just appreciate the progress because this thing is hard. This journey is long. Dímelo, mi gente. Welcome to another episode of the Quien Tu Eres podcast brought to you by Plural, where we explore the conflict that many of us often face between professionalism and authenticity. You already know it's your boy, Pavel. And this week on the podcast, we have a very special guest, Nancy Reyes. Now, before getting into the full episode, let me give you a quick little bio on Nancy. Nancy is a marketing industry veteran with over 24 years of experience. She's currently the CEO of TBWA, an award-winning advertising agency based out of New York. During the course of her career, Nancy has really specialized in partnering with dozens of companies to develop their brands, create meaningful relationship with their customers slash community, and ultimately drive more purposeful and profitable future. To get a full description of Nancy's bio, be sure to check out the show notes. Now that you know a little bit about Nancy, let's just go and get into the episode. I find it interesting that a lot of companies put this in their uh, not their mission statement, but their values. It's like, be your most authentic self, but then everyone has their own definition of what authenticity is. Like, what about for you? When people tell you to be your most authentic self or when you hear the word authenticity, like what comes to mind for you? If there's no straightforward answer uh, to that question for me, because I think I've been on a journey to figure that out for, for a while now. And I am literally going through it right this second. I was uh, sharing with some of my colleagues at work that when people talk about bringing their best self to work or their most authentic self to work, I have, um, I sort of I cringe at it because I was brought up doing the whole opposite. I mean, the whole, the whole way to survive, you know, back in the 1970s and 1980s was about assimilation. That was the thing, you know, make sure that you are, you, you lay low, you don't cause any trouble, you put your head down, 
um, speak English, you know, don't, don't speak with an accent. Um, and you know, my whole life has been about that, about assimilating, about fitting in, about blending in. So when people say, bring your authentic self to work, did you mean the one that maybe I lost, you know, <laughs> 40 years ago or that I never really connected with, or do like, I don't even know what that means. I mean, I literally, am like, if, if I hadn't gone through assimilation, would I still be the same person I am now? I, so I, I wish I had this like perfect answer to that question, but I think at the moment, if I had to say like, what is my authentic self right this second? It is, it is this, it is the exploration of like, of who I am, the parts of me that are Latina, the parts of me that are American, the parts of me that are from Queens, the parts of me that are, you know, that, that are from where I live now, being a mom, being a wife, like th that's, I think where it sits for me right now. But there's a big sort of cultural identity question that um, I'm in the process of trying to answer. Um, and, and I don't know the answer to it, honestly. No, I, I appreciate that vulnerability because I think many of us are still on that journey. You know, people think that, you know, when you get to a certain point in your career, then it's all figured out. But that's not true either. Um, but tell me a little bit more about that assimilation. Like, when did you first, did you realize at one point that you were assimilating? Because I think for many of us, we just, we do it, but it just becomes second nature. Yeah. Now I look back and think there were some points in my life where, you know, they, they were signals of that, where I had, was making a conscious decision about it. Well, I remember, first of all, my parents both spoke Spanish. So I don't remember even ever learning English, except my parents, I found out my parents put me in front of the TV to watch Sesame Street. And that's where I picked it up because I went to school in kindergarten and somehow I could speak English. And going through school, uh, and and hearing kids um, make fun of accents. I mean, that that was a big thing. Like, why do you you know why do you talk like that? And you know why don't you, the word is this way and that way. It was it was just a sort of a, a constant correction of how I might say something. So I remember coming home. I was little, maybe six, seven, eight, and my mother was speaking to me in Spanish. And I said, "Speak English. This is America. You have to speak English." You know that I, I remember. I was so little, you know, and I remember saying that. And from that age, I also remember being obsessed with being articulate, like obsessed that somehow I had connected the fact that I would say a word in a certain manner, or I would, you know, speak in Spanglish or, um, you know, the, the Boricua, right, would come out and that that was somehow uh, a, a signal of a lack of intelligence. I, I made those two connections really early on. And I, I just remember being obsessed with being articulate. Um, and, you know, I, I went, you know, went on to go to, to high school and, and that, that was really hard because I was a part of a, a program called Prep for Prep, which uh, was, was about helping inner city kids of color uh, in New York City get into private schools because the, you know, the, the disparity between public schools and private schools in New York is, you know, an abomination, as I'm sure everybody knows. And I had to go through all of this rigorous stuff and I, you know, I was able to get in and it was an amazing program that I, you know, that I uh, give a lot of credit to for, for who I am now. But I get put into these schools that are, that are all white, they're all affluent. And I am neither one of those things. Um, and that to, to then sort of overcompensate with a constant like need to assimilate, you know, like how do I fit into this? Oh, these people all have country houses. Okay, all oh, these people all dress like this. It was just a constant observation and reaction to what world I was in and constantly, constantly, constantly trying to fit in. And uh, I had this, this high school teacher, a history teacher, and I wrote a paper and 
he told me, you know, he gave me a bad grade on the paper and he told me to come see him. And he told me, you're, it's just not sophisticated is what he said. He said, I feel like you're, the way you write and the way you talk about things just lacks sophistication. Um, oh. And that, I mean, I, I think that that probably, I mean, that probably crushed me academically, you know, and he, and, and so I, he, he said, you know, let me know if you want any help, but like, amp up the sophistication. So I went to the library and I got a thesaurus and I'm like, okay, I don't know what that means, sophistication. I don't know. I don't understand that. So for every, almost every word that I would write down in that paper, I would, I would go to a thesaurus and find a different word for that word just to make it, you know, like, okay, let me, what's the, what's the cooler word, the more sophisticated. Anyway, I handed this thing in and I'm sure if I read it now, I'd be like, what is this? This is not even English. Like, you know, it doesn't make any sense. And then he wrote me back being, you know, he kind of was like, you don't, you know what, you don't get it. It's, uh, this is not what I mean. So anyway, I mean, I'm kind of off topic here, but that's what assimilation meant to me. It meant like fitting in, behaving a certain way, picking up those norms that were all the anti-norms that, you know, th that I was, that I was a part of. And, you know, sitting in sometimes these like family gatherings where I really wanted to do some merengue, but being like, but that's not what I'm supposed to be doing. Cause I'm supposed to be doing this over, like where, which one do I go do? Do I go and hang out over here on this side or do I go and do this merengue thing? And that, that was kind of how it was for a long time until, you know, it felt like no one really noticed that I was maybe Latina anymore. Like maybe I did a really good job. It's, it's messed up, right? Like, wow. was I so, did I, was I so good at assimilating that everybody forgot that, that people were like, oh, I didn't even know you were Latina. I had a friend, I was talking to my friend about this. She's like my, one of my lifelong friends. And I was telling her I was really struggling with this during you know, everything that was happening in social justice last year. And she said, oh, I had no idea that you were Latina. I just always thought you were white. And part of me was like, how is that possible? If you look at me, that you wouldn't pick that up. And then the other part of me was like, damn, I was good. I did it. Like, I mean, I could not have perfected assimilation more, you know? So that's, you know, those are some of the things I'm observing now. Like, oh, that was the time that this happened. Oh, I made a conscious decision here. And, you know, listen, I got to give myself a break because that was about survival at the time. You know, yeah. we know where our assimilation comes from, right? That was like, mm -hmm. we were afraid La Miguel was going to pick us up and send us back, you know, like that's, yeah. that was real. But um, the repercussions of that are pretty, they're pretty significant. Yeah, that, that brings me to uh, my niece in Florida. She, like her grandmother typically, you know, watches her and, you know, now with quarantine and she, her first language in many ways was actually Spanish, you know, in the house, you know, grandmother would talk to her in Spanish, et cetera. And she picked up a lot of words to the point where like she can speak in Spanish, right? But then when she started going to school and she didn't see, or she didn't hear Spanish being spoken to, she, I'm assuming in her head was like, whoa, like, why does no one understand me? Why can no one, why can I not communicate to anyone? And what that translated to was that now when she comes back home and speaks to her grandmother, she tells her grandmother, no Spanish, no Spanish, Spanish, no. And she demands to be spoken to in English in many ways, right? So it just reminded me to your story of, you know, being surrounded by people that, you know, may not look like you or may not speak the same language. And then, I mean, I think it's just like a biological desire to fit in, right? It's just like our desire to be in groups, our desire to be a part of something that, that is bigger than us. So I, I think that's natural. Yeah, it is all about that. It is about, you're right, it's a, it's a primal need to belong, you know, mm -hmm. to be recognized, to be cared for, 
and you know again like back then to be singled out um was was a was a bad thing you know we you you, do, you did not want to stand out it was not the right thing to do um, now you know it's it's actually about that you know it's more about being in touch with who you are and being able to express that with you know with a ton of comfort and safety and um, and ease and that you know that's that is it is a struggle to do that because I, I you know I just don't I don't always believe that the world is ready for that you know maybe certain people certain groups certain companies certain whatever are ready but not always you know not always um, because it's been suppressed for so long I'm not really sure people know what they're asking for when they're saying you know bring your authentic true self to work you know I, or or to to this or to that you know I don't know that everybody knows what that even is. Um, because we, we, I just think we've been suppressed for a while. I'm curious too, because you, you mentioned this like dynamic between like you assimilating in many ways, but then you still have to go back home to family and you still have to play with this dynamic around like, am I being Latina enough? Like, how did you feel in those situations? I think I just felt honestly like I belong to neither because I would go to school and not fit in because I just couldn't. I didn't, I just wasn't that, that kind of a person. And, you know, school, you know, that I feel, I feel badly for so many of the kids that I went to school with, because I'm not sure anything was ever done to prepare those kids for people like me coming into the school. You know, they would have never experienced that many people of color coming in through this program. Um, and so there were moments where, you know, I felt like, they thought I was taking the, their spots in AP classes, or of course she got into Harvard. They're doing that whole affirmative action thing. It was definitely present. I mean, that was, that was everywhere, but no one, no one educated anybody about it. We were just kind of, you know, put into these, to these schools. And again, like, I'm so grateful for that opportunity, but at the time there was no real attention paid to the sociological impact for me and for the students. So that, so that was what school was like. And then I was the only kid that would take the subway about an hour and a half to go into Queens. Um, you know, most kids took the Crosstown bus. Most kids walked home. Most kids, you know, did whatever. But I had to, I had to take the subway for an hour and a half deep into Queens. Nobody lived in Queens. And then I would go home and, you know, I would have to make dinner. I would have to iron the clothes. I would have to clean the house. I would have to, you know, whatever it took to put, you know, food on the table kind of thing. So it just, it didn't, and that didn't feel right. And school didn't feel right. So I think I just felt misplaced a lot. You know, I, I didn't really know what was the, um, how I was supposed to be. I, I had moments where I enjoyed both parts of that for sure. You know, moments where, you know, I, I remember watching telenovelas and thinking like, this is the, this is the jam. <laughs> you know, I love that. That was like a great part of culture and the food was amazing and the constant, sort of, you know, laughter and dancing and how, how much music played a role in our lives. And I loved, I loved that. And the family, that was, that was wonderful. And then, you know, at, at school, I loved just the exposure to things I would have never been exposed to, whether it's a kind of sport, liter I love literature, you know, I, I studied French, like just stuff I would never, ever have experienced outside of it. So I was, in some ways, I had the best of both worlds, but I never really felt like I was fully in one or fully in the other. And the fact that I had a foot in each one of them made me, um, you know, less easy to put into a box, you know, people, people, I think, didn't know how to react to me, except to maybe, maybe the way that people internalize my 
Latin culture. I remember in school all the time, I was asked, you know, can you talk like Rosie Perez? I mean, that was, that was like a constant request. And you know what? The most embarrassing part about that, honestly, is that I did. I would do it because it was funny and it was a way to connect. I didn't know. You know, I didn't know that that was just not an okay thing to do. I was like a performance, you know, for people. And they would ask me to do that over and over and over again. Um, and, you know, that, that I think was kind of, you know, was kind of tough. It was really tough. How do you feel about it now looking back at it? Before Nancy answers that question, let's take a quick break to hear from our sponsor. COVID-19 moves fast. And now you can too. If you feel symptoms, even if they're mild, you should test fast. Test positive and at high risk for severe COVID-19? Then act fast with authorized oral treatments that can be taken at home and must be taken within five days from when symptoms begin. COVID-19 moves fast. And now you can too by asking your healthcare provider if an oral treatment is right for you. Learn about a treatment option at TreatCV19.com. This message is sponsored by Pfizer. I think I have more... For a while, I, I think I was that person who was like, I really didn't like high school. I just really didn't like it. I didn't fit in. It was tough. Even though I appreciated that I got an outstanding education, I wonder how much more outstanding of an education I could have gotten had I felt safe and comfortable. But I still got an outstanding education. Listen, I got to go to a great high school. I got to go to Harvard. I mean, you know, it, I can't look back on it and be like, it was terrible, you know? I think part of what I struggle with sometimes is, you know, I mean, you just heard me say it, I got to go to, you know, yeah. as if I were like, yeah, I got to go. I mean, I earned it. Yeah. You know what I mean? So sometimes I struggle with that. That's like a big thing that I talk about a lot, you know, is like, I was, you know, it's not my fault that the system was rigged against so many of us for so long. Like I earned my place and I did well in my, in my studies and I worked hard and I earned that and deserved that. So I, you know, I, I love, I love all of that very much. Um, I think now I look back at high school and I think I feel much more sympathy for my, um, the kids that I went to school with because they wouldn't know, you know, they didn't know they weren't, they weren't helped through that. Um, we weren't, we weren't kind of coached together through this experience. So I feel maybe more sympathy than I would have expected to feel versus like those kids were just you know mean and and racist like i don't think that's true i just think they didn't they didn't know um and so of course they would respond to something and seeing me laugh while i do something would make them want me to do it again i mean it was we were just kind of living in this world that was created for us yeah no i've i've had very similar experiences where um you know whether it be microaggressions or, or whether it be people doing some like racist things to me. And I don't necessarily think that in every one of those instances, the person is racist. I, in many ways, don't think that they knew better, right? Which is kind of like why I want to have, you know, part of these conversations are to, or for people that look like us to, to know that they're not alone. But another part of those, another reason for these conversations is for people that don't look like us to just realize that, you know, maybe something that they did was inappropriate and they didn't know about it and they, you know, may learn something through this. Um, I always think it's interesting too, because I think, you know, when, when people talk about code switching and, and assimilating and, and hiding who they are, I think professional settings or work environments are sort of an easy go-to or a scapegoat to say, oh, I'm, you know, I... I'm not comfortable being myself because no one around me looks like me, right? But 
I think if we like actually reflect, like we start doing this assimilation and code switching at such an early age, it just, you know, by the time that we get to a professional setting, we're just experts because <laughs> we've just been doing it for 25 years, let's say. Let's start off when like you first started entering the workforce. Like just what, what was that experience like when you first started working? I think that it was actually harder than I thought it was going to be because I, I loved college and I felt like I was confident in myself and I believed in myself and I was, I was at ease with it. And I had a, a, you know, a wonderful experience in college of being surrounded by a lot of people, including Latin people that I felt like I could be myself with, you know, and, and, and I just, I felt mo the most comfortable I'd ever felt when I went into the, to the industry. I'm so curious. Sorry. What was it about that college experience that made you feel so comfortable? Level playing field. I, I mean, I say that all, level playing field, like for me, little things, you know, I, I, you know, when, when I was little, like we, we just, we didn't have any money. I mean, you know, my sister and I were picking up bottles on the street, you know, to help put the money, you know, together for the food on the table. That was just, that was, it was bad, you know? And then I would go to these schools where, you know, I just, I couldn't, I was left out of so many things because we didn't have enough money to put food on the table. How am I going to ask if I could please, you know, go to this person's house or go to the movies or go to, it just wasn't, it's not possible, you know? Then I get to college and I'm like, this is amazing. Everybody gets a computer. Like, this is amazing. Like I, we all get to eat in the cafeteria and no one will know if I had to pick up bottles yesterday. Amazing. <laughs> That it was level from that we all lived in the same crappy dorms, you know, with the same <laughs> crappy beds, you know, I mean, some people had their stuff like tricked out, you know, and some people's parents sent, sent care packages and, you know, I had to do work study and, and double up the jobs, but like it was level and that was amazing. And so because we were all the same, you know, and I, and I'm not an idiot. I know we were, we were not all the same, but we were kind of all, for me, that was what a level playing field looked like. And then I just had a pocket of just friends. I had New York friends. I had my Latin friends. I had, you know, athlete friends. I had people who studied literature. I just had lots of friends in different places. And I felt no one knew about that back there. And that, I think that was what was amazing. And I, I mean, I did so well in school and I loved it. It, it was incredible. What was interesting about coming back into the professional world, again, I say this with a tremendous amount of gratitude, that program, Prep for Prep, helped me find a job in advertising. And at the time, the, the agency that I joined wanted to be more diverse. So we, there were maybe 10 of us that started on, on day one, all of us people of color. And we sat down in this, in this person's office and this person explained how advertising works. There are you know, writers, there are art directors, there are producers, there are you know, uh, account management. And they explained, he explained all the different departments and he went around the room and he said, okay, which one do you wanna be in? And I said, well, I wrote for the paper in college uh, and I did really well in English. And I, you know, I'm, I'm a, I really did super well in my essays. I would like to be a writer. And he said, great, you'll be in account management. And that, it shut the door for me like right away. Like right, and I felt quickly like I had no right to advocate for myself because I was being given this opportunity. How ungrateful of me to, you know, I just got to get a job, put my head down and make money. Like I'm not going to talk about, I mean, I graduated from Harvard and I wrote for the paper. Like that's not a small thing. You know, it wasn't a small thing and I got shut down right away. 
Um, and, you know, I mean, I now understand it a little bit more to know, you know, that people expect you to have a book and some experience and this specific kind of thing. But, you know, that's not, that's not what we're trying to do with, you know, the movement that we're trying to do in, in marketing and advertising, you know, and that started, you know, a ways back. So I, I kind of lost confidence right off the bat, like right away. Um, I was just put back down. And I remember I worked for a woman who would um, make me go get her orange soda downstairs in the cafeteria. And she would send me back down if I didn't put enough ice cubes in it. Like it was just, you know, it, I was, okay. Okay, so this is the way it's gonna be then. All right, we're back to this, you know, we're back to this. So at some point when I switched, you know, switched to a different company, um, I just made a decision to just be the best account person on the planet. I was like, you're going to act like this is a second class job. It is not. I'm going to make it amazing. And that, you know, and that, that just was what I, what I wanted to be and how driven I became. And, you know, I, I was, I was very, very successful at it, but that I will, I'll never forget that I got shut down in the beginning and maybe again, one of those moments where I wonder like, what would have been, what could I have been? Was I supposed to be that? And then I quickly say, well, listen, it worked out. I mean, I'm the CEO of an amazing agency. I work, you know, everything worked out. It's great. What am I complaining about? You know, it's fine. It's fine. It's just a moment where a door closed for me that, you know, that, uh, that just reminded me that I was less than according to, you know, some people. How did that force you to react in your, in your day to day? I'm wondering did it force you to hide a bit of who you were? I'm just, um, in, in that, in that setting, I'd love to just understand like how comfortable were you being yourself after that moment? Um, after that moment where you were put down? I mean, I was, I was just small, you know, I was small for a while. I think it took, um, a year for me to be noticed again. Uh, I remember getting a review and people and somebody said, Oh, I've noticed that you've been working on these things and they're, you know, they're really good. And, but I just, I was, I just felt like I'm going to put my head down and, um, and, and just, just do what's in front of me because I'm not really allowed to just go, kind of go outside those lines or take any risks. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, but I delivered good product and, and I think people notice, and, you know, I ended up making some terrific friends, um, at the company, but, um, you know, they were all white, you know, which is, which was, it's fine. It's just, again, like I, it leaves me with that question of would I have opened myself up to more people of color at the company? There weren't that many, or, you know, who could I have been? How could I have expressed myself? Could I have gotten where I am faster? Like, there's no way for me to ever know those things, but when you close that door so early to someone, just like I was told I was not sophisticated, you know, th those things shape your life forever, you know, forever. So even though I could tell you I'm a really good writer, um, you know, I have, I have um, partners at work who are like, you're such a good writer. You should write this and write that, you know, put, put this piece out. You're, you know, you're, I love the way you talk about this. I'm like, I'm not, I can't, I, I gives, it takes me a lot to be like, I deserve to write this. I am good at writing this. I'm going to put this out to write it. Like I still have to really work my brain to do that. And we got to realize that, that we do that to people. Yeah. Really early on, we mess them up like that, you know? 
I'm so I'm I'm so curious too because I've had a couple of people on the podcast that are um, like in executive positions, and I, I I'm always curious. I'm like, is it easier for you to be yourself when you get to a certain level? What a great question. I think it's uh I think some parts of it have been easier, and some parts of it maybe are difficult. I'll tell you what makes it easier that we're we're having a national conversation about this makes it easier. So in general, I think people are disarmed enough to allow for those different you know behaviors and cultural expressions to kind of shine through. They're welcoming them more than ever before. We're building programs like ERGs around it. We're actively hiring people. So I could walk into the office and you know see people that you know um, I can be myself more myself around. Right? Like I see you know some. I'm just thinking about a couple of people I see at work. And I'm like, oh yeah, what's happening? You know, like that instant like you know. Let's just talk about it like that. You know. Um, that, that I think allows, you know, allows for executives or me to, to feel that way. Um, so I, and I do think that the person who said, I don't give a, you know, is right because in my best moments, you know, I think it's my, it's not only my desire, but I think it is my responsibility to try to lean into that and own it more than ever so that people can see that, you know, that, that it's okay to, to bring that part of who you are into work every day. And moreover, to see that I happen to have partners at work who embrace it and love it and, and you know, respect it um, like mm -hmm. crazy. I think that dynamic is so important for people to see. And I, ha and I have that and I see that and I show that. However, I'm not gonna tell you that there aren't moments where I look back and not necessarily at my own, my own company, but when, you know, when we're out, when, when I'm representing to your point and you read the room and you're like, okay, this is not the time to bring it out. <laughs> you know, yeah. this is not, not, this is not the time to be like, oh yeah, this is how we're going to do, you know, this is not the time for me to be my expressive, fully Latin passionate self, just because I know it's not going to work. You know, there are, there are moments that I have walked out of meetings or conferences when I have felt um, so Hispanic, so Latina. And I don't mean that, I, I don't even know if I mean that in a good way or in a bad way, but like that I maybe showed 25% of my Latina self, but it came across as like megaphone Latina, you know, like turned to 11. Um, <laughs> and you, I was. What did you do? Like what, what made you feel so Latina? Was it the crowd reaction? Was it something you said? Yeah, I think it was the makeup of the crowd, you know, that there wasn't, you know, there, there wasn't a Latina in, in the room or there wasn't somebody of color in the room. Um, I think it was the, um, the restraint with which everybody else spoke and the fact that I felt myself being louder than yeah. everybody else mm -hmm. and more expressive. Um, and, you know, the moments where sometimes I wanted to dip into a Spanish word or a half Spanish word to explain it because it's there isn't a there isn't the word like that you know, and and just people's reaction to it was like, like wow she's a lot you know yeah. you know what I'm talking about right that expression where you know you either people say it to you or you feel it back where people are like she's a lot, she's coming in hot, mm -hmm. she's aggressive you know she's spicy, right. I, I've gotten that, like, you know, ooh, you spicy, you bring in the spice today. Like that, those kinds of reactions sometimes make it difficult. And so I, you know, 
again, I feel like I agree with everybody that has probably come on your podcast before to say in some ways it is easier and it is my responsibility. Uh, and I'm, and I'm grateful to have partners and a, and a company in which, you know, it, it is, it is more accepted, um, than in other places, but there are moments when I, I see my, I feel myself adjusting myself. This is the time to put on heart. Let's, this is Harvard, Nancy. Let's, let's do Harvard, Nancy, mm. you know, let's do CEO, Nancy. Let's do, you, 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 you know, you, you have to kind of do that a little. I, I have felt the need to kind of do that a little. Is that wrong? Is that right? I don't know, but that's the truth. I, I would think like if you would get to a certain level professionally, like all that criticism or those comments would go away. But you're saying that in some ways you still receive some of those, some of that feedback, um, depending on what version of yourself you present. Yeah, sometimes. I mean, I think, I think that, you know, I don't, back to sort of how we started this conversation, I don't think everybody is, you know, I don't, I don't think we're, we're talking about, you know, sort of blatant racism as much as no. people I think are reacting a certain mm -hmm. way. And remember, I think I was brought up in a world in which I was told not to be loud, to be very quiet, to be, you know, to sort of suppress who I am. And so I find those comments sometimes um, difficult for me as a person who's been trying to do the opposite. Um, that doesn't mean that any of those things are, you know, I do come in hot sometimes. I am spicy. It's not, it's all true. It's real. You know, I come in with a lot of passion that, you know, they know, Yeah. but I, I do think it's, it's, it, what's easier now is to be able to, to certainly with, with my partners and my peers and my company, like my company, to be able to be like, I am spicy, right? Like, let's get this stuff done. And that that is easy and that is fine and that is wonderful. I think sometimes it's the outside world, yeah. um, outside of the comfort of my own place that, you know, that, that I sometimes feel extra Latina, you know, extra. Yeah, I, I think there's two sides to it, right? Because I think like on one side, there's just like the words that are used, um, they don't, the words that are used to describe us, for example, like spicy, or um, like other people would be described as a, uh, <laughs> what is it, a, a go-getter, or like uh, he's a disruptor, you know? Um, so I, I don't think it's like that they're necessarily wrong. I think we're being mislabeled, but I think often, for example, I'll, say, I'll share a personal story. Like there was one time where I was labeled as aggressive at work, um, and I had a conversation with my therapist about it, and she asked me, you know, it, it was a situation where I disagreed in a meeting with my team. They got loud. I got loud back. But at the end of it, I got labeled as aggressive. So my therapist, um, shout out to therapy, by the way. So I asked my, ther my therapist, my therapist asked me, me time and time again. So I feel you. <laughs> yeah. So she asked me, Pavel, were you being aggressive? And I was like, you know what? Maybe I was. And she said, that's fine. You know, they often say that people that use a louder tone, um, they're using the voice of the unheard. And she asked mm. me, have you ever felt unheard before by your team? And I said, oh, yes, all the time. I say things in a meeting, no one, no one listens. Someone else shares the same idea with less data to back it up to support his, his or her claim and they get acknowledged as a genius, right? So going back to that earlier example of you, sort of like communication and feeling heard and, and, and being well-spoken as, as like a strength that you wanted to, um, that you wanted to create or build for yourself like that, that was me in corporate settings. But I don't think, well, not that I don't think, like I know 
earlier early in my career, I wasn't taught how to communicate my emotions properly. So I mean, I I think I think the criticism was was fair as probably like me being quote unquote aggressive. I just wish I had the necessary tools at the time to tell my teammates, hey, everyone, I, I feel unheard because of this, this, and this reason. Can we have a productive conversation about it so that we don't get to the point where I'm labeled aggressive and it tarnishes my career in a certain company, right? So I think, it, I think many times we're labeled things negatively before we're able to build up the necessary skills to like prepare us for that situation. You know what I mean? I do. And I think, I think the, that point of the voice of the unheard is like, ooh, that's a lot of power in that concept because I think it is true. And I think we, we sometimes embody not just our own feeling of being unheard, but maybe, you know, maybe our whole, you know, Latin generation or, you know, Latin family, like it, it's a, it's a big thing. I do think that, that there are, what I've noticed is, cause I think we've talked about some of the sort of difficult moments where I couldn't be myself and, and there's equal merit to talking about the, the moments where somebody maybe opened the door a little bit, you know? Yes. Um, and, you know, they're kind of small examples, but I'll remember that when I was at my, my second job, um, I had a boss who, um, I, I, we were doing like a, a brainstorm. Mm -hmm. And I was just, I was I'm not into the brainstorm. I didn't want to do the brainstorm. I was just feeling like lazy and not into it and just mad, just mad with the, with the world. Mm -hmm. And I attended the, the, the brainstorm and I sat in the back with my arms folded, like, you know, <laughs> lay back, like I didn't care. I didn't participate. And then when the, when the brainstorm was over, I left. I didn't pick up the easels. I didn't do anything. And I was, you know, that was my job. It was clearly my job. And she called me into her office and she, you know, she let me have it. And she said, you know, you, we want to hear you. We want to hear your voice. You know, you all clean up those easels too. I'm not getting you out of that, but like you, you need to, we want to hear from you. And not that she sort of, you know, she, she let me feel like my voice was welcomed Mm -hmm. and, and you know whatever I was carrying maybe she knew that I just needed to be given permission you know mm -hmm. in, in the world that we live in I just needed to be given permission a door needed to be open and she gave me some really helpful feedback about you know how I communicate sometimes and then I you know and then I turned on and I remember giving a, a an idea in a meeting that turned into a product mm -hmm. for the company that we were working on I'm like oh my god the power of my ideas the power of my voice this is amazing that that was a great example and then i always use the story of like you know a, a company i worked at for a really long time i was there for a year i've noticed this pattern where it takes me a minute to just feel comfortable and safe before i you know before Same. i turn on you for know me, for right? me it's it's my first performance review cycle after that i'm so good <laughs> well I, it's I, so need that, funny. I need that validation Yes. It's funny you say that because that's my example is I went in for my performance review after being there for one year at this company. And I was like, this is, I'm, I'm clearly killing it. You know, like walked in, I'm like, what's this guy going to tell me? And he said, you're not as good as I thought you would be. Like, where have you been? I, I thought, you know, you talked about this in your interview. I haven't seen this. Like, I really wanted you to help me with this and with that. Like, where are you? And again, I, like after that, I never looked back. You know, it was like, oh, I'm being, I, I'm being told you are welcomed, you know, come in. We want to see everything from you, you know, like speak up, do this, do that. And I think those moments where people, by the way, in both of those examples, 
the people who gave me the feedback were um, my bosses and they were white. Mm-hmm. And both of those people probably gave me more confidence than anybody else has um, to say I, my voice is my voice is welcomed, and they mm-hmm. want to hear from me. So I, you know, I think I got to give a shout out to people who give the feedback yeah. direct, you know, and in that then open the door for um, for the voice to be heard. I I love that example. Um, I think in particular I love it because when people think authenticity i think many people their minds automatically go to culture but it goes so far beyond that like there are just values that are unique to us that may not that someone else just may not care about right so for example like part of my authenticity is like being courageous enough to speak up right to be outspoken but part of that authenticity like we hide that part of ourselves because we don't want to be labeled as spicy as as too much or even even the even the idea of disagreeing like i for so long i never wanted to disagree with someone in a meeting i waited till the meeting's over and i got them on the side i was like hey like i don't think that's the right thing because i didn't want to be seen as like combative or whatever you know insert whatever negative word so i think the fact that you know it's i want to show people that it's not just about like bringing a flag to work and like waving it in the air you know what i mean it's about like giving ourselves permission to embrace things like being outspoken, something as simple as that. So I, I love that you highlighted that. Um, and as, as we come to an end, I just want to leave you with this final question. You know, obviously you said earlier in the interview, like your journey isn't complete, despite, you know, where you are in life, you're still working on, on parts of yourself and, and, and bringing more parts of your authenticity to work. Um, you know, what's one thing that continues to inspire you to, to be your most authentic self? I have to say it's the people that I, you know, that I work with. When we went through, you know, everything we went through last summer, um, we were having so many conversations at work about, you know, what it means to bring your authentic self. Do we truly have a, you know, have a safe culture? And the stuff that I'm talking about now would have never been possible to, to talk about if it wasn't for the people at, at work that were that allowed me to have that safe expression like it is scary to tell people I don't know what it means <laughs> to bring my authentic self to work because I've been trying to hide that thing for 45 years you know and the 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 sort of open arms that I got as a result of sharing that that vulnerability that insecurity that big big identity question that I have right now was so inspiring and it and it keeps me talking about that you know when when I have people say to me well that's because you were it was about assimilation that was because for so many years people thought you were a product of affirmative action like you know there's just such a common understanding of what I'm going through even if it's a generation a generational thing that is not necessarily applicable in the same way today and I would say that that kind of thing keeps me inspired uh, and keeps me going because it is it's a hard truth to tell and it's not a popular one that people want to hear right now um, I think people would love me to um, be the person to say yes I bring my authentic self to work you know I am more Latina today than I was yesterday you know like I I know people want me to say that but that is not my truth so the ability to speak my truth as it stands right now and be and feel safe and comfortable doing it inspires me and and convinces me that we're making more progress now than maybe we give ourselves credit for and we have got to just take a moment and pause and just appreciate the progress because this thing is hard this journey is long that wraps up this week's episode of the Gintuetas podcast thank you for listening if you enjoyed what you heard please do us a favor leave us a rating write us a review 
it'll only help ensure that more of our community hears these stories and experiences so that they feel more empowered to be their most authentic self. Thank you.